Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to the Practicing Mind Podcast with Tom Sterner. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Practicing Mind, What I Learned from Coaching Podcast. I'm glad you're here. As always, I want to remind you that even though here at the Practicing Mind Institute, we have quite a few show ideas in the queue, I really like having the content of the show driven by your questions. So you can get those questions to me by just emailing asktom at tomsterner.com. That's A-S-K-T-O-M at tomsterner.com. And I should mention that, of course, I'm not going to include any names with the questions so you don't have to worry about someone you know saying, geez, I can't believe you actually asked that. Also, while I have your ear, I just want to let you know that my new website is up. That's right, the new tomsterner.com is live. So I hope you will take a moment and check it out. And if you're feeling that I might be someone you'd like to talk to one-on-one, well, that's where you can make it happen. Okay, so today's episode is called Thought Awareness Training. What the heck is that? Well, we're going to find out in just a minute. Well, let's get this started. Thought awareness training is a phrase that I coined for my clients years ago. And before I discuss exactly what I mean by this phrase, I want to talk for a minute about how we communicate with each other. Obviously, we use a system of linguistics. We string words together into sentences which have meaning. But individual words not only have meaning, they also have an emotional polarity. Now, in reality, the word itself doesn't have emotional polarity. We have all just agreed that it exists. So, for example, take the word mistake. The word mistake is nothing more than a label for a process where we figure out what doesn't work or what doesn't produce the result that we're looking for. And yet, there is a certain emotional polarity with the word that feels objectionable and maybe even fearful. The word struggle is another example. The word struggle is another label that we use to describe when we are in the process of mastering a particular skill, and at that moment we are currently up against our threshold. That's why we experience a sense of struggle. We don't feel a sense of struggle regarding a skill that we have mastered because our experience is that it is relatively effortless. When we label something as a struggle, Again, it sounds objectionable when all it is really doing is describing where we are in the process of mastering the skill. So this comes back to why I coined the phrase thought awareness training. What I'm going to talk about could also be called meditation. But the reason I don't like that word in this context is because meditation is a label that means different things to different people. I would look at the concept of meditation as being similar to the concept of reading. Reading, in my mind, is a skill. What you choose to read is a choice. In other words, where are you aiming your skill? You can read a medical journal, you can read a tabloid, religious text, a novel, and on and on. Developing the skill of reading allows you the opportunity to aim that skill. With that in mind, thought awareness training is using a process that could be labeled meditation, but for a specific purpose. You cannot change what you are not aware of, and we know through neuroscience that our thoughts create our reality and so our experience in life. The mind 
is a problem-solving machine, and it's really quite good at it. That's all good when you are directing it to solve a problem. But if you don't give it a problem to solve, it will go looking for one and even create one. It gets bored easily, and it very strongly resists being controlled. It likes to talk incessantly, and it likes to repeat thoughts over and over again. Once when I was working with a group of high school students, I told them that we were going to do a simple task. I wanted them to close their eyes for two minutes and to stop thinking. So I set a timer and off they went. The reactions that I got at the end of the two minutes were predictable and very entertaining. In short, they were stunned by how little control they had over their mind. Thinking all the time felt normal. Their minds were so overstimulated by things like their smartphones and too much TV that it had never occurred to them that there was a part of themselves that they had no control over. I made my point by asking them, so who is really in control because it's not you? All of this is happening inside of you. No one from the outside is directing you. Using your will, you are telling your mind to stop thinking, and your mind is basically saying, nope, I like thinking. So who is really in control during your day? The impact that this brief activity had on some of them was profound. Even though they had only experienced a relatively quiet mind for just a few seconds here and there during the two-minute exercise, it felt wonderful and they wanted more. I actually had parents contacting me telling me that their child was practicing something called thought awareness training every day and it had completely turned their academic achievements around. Now, there are two perspectives that you can have here. You can be in your thoughts or you can be the observer of the thoughts your mind is producing. Now, there are very different perspectives to experience. When you are in your thoughts, you are susceptible to the emotional content of every thought that your mind produces. In other words, you are just a puppet. When you are the observer of your thoughts, you have the key to the prison door. Because in that awareness of the thoughts that your mind is producing, and the separateness you feel from those thoughts, you have the opportunity, or maybe I should say the privilege of choice. It doesn't mean that it's easy to change the thoughts simply because you're aware of them. But without that awareness, the opportunity is not even there. One time when I was speaking to a client and talking about this subject, he disagreed strongly. He said that he felt that he manufactured his thoughts and that he was able to control them. When he finished saying that, I responded to him saying, I'm the coach, you're the client. That means you need to sit there and keep your mouth shut until I tell you to talk. Now, of course, he set himself up by his remark and his reaction was very predictable. He was insulted and irritated. And then I said to him, you know, I apologize for my comment, but I needed for you to experience my point. All I had to do was change my tone, and I was able to manipulate your response. There was no choice making that went on within you. Your subconscious said, hey, this is what we do when somebody talks to us this way. It loaded the thought response into your mind and then ran the tape, and you reacted. You were in the thought as it played out, and you were experiencing the emotional content that was built into the thought. This is what happens all day long. Something happens in front of your eyes. Something happens within audible distance of your ears. Your subconscious goes and gets the practiced response off a hard drive and plays it out. Again, you experience it that way because you are in your thought. If, however, you were observing your thought, 
you would notice the response that was involuntary and have the opportunity to choose to either participate or to create a different thought which would have a different response. So why do we function this way? These responses are habitual behaviors that we have installed into our subconscious and we have practiced them thousands if not tens of thousands of times. That's why they happen so effortlessly. We're really good at them. And it's also why they take so much effort to change. The word subconscious is really just a label for one aspect of a single entity that we call our mind. That aspect is always listening. It doesn't judge. It doesn't have a sense of humor. It's very literal and it's always watching and learning. You can be the teacher or the programmer, but it can also learn and habitualize behavior just by observing what is going on around you. The way that you react to a situation is a program that either you have created and installed or that your subconscious mind has created because it reasons that since you repeat the same response whenever a certain stimulus is present, that must be what you want. It's always trying to give you what it thinks you want. But what if there's a situation that you haven't encountered before? Well, then it just extrapolates, sort of like a Google search. It looks at all the stored reactions to similar situations, and it gives a best guess consistent with parameters it already knows. Neuroscience has taught us that about 95% of the day, we actually aren't really thinking creatively. We are just running programs off the hard drive. But because this is how we've always experienced it, we don't notice it and it feels normal. We think we are in control and that our reactions are by our own volition, but they're not. As I work with clients, it's so much fun watching them experience for the first time being the observer of their thoughts. A whole new world opens up to them. They realize that they are not nervous about the interview or about speaking up in the meeting. Their mind is playing out a nervous thought because it thinks that that's what they are expecting in this situation. But in this new experience, they don't feel connected to the nervousness. I have had clients tell me it feels like they are sitting next to themselves, totally calm and focused, and speaking with clarity that they didn't know they had because they were immune to the habitual response of nervousness that their subconscious was playing out. One client told me that he was routinely in meetings where he wanted to offer his perspective, but that he was too nervous to speak up. There were people from all different levels of the company in the meeting, and some of them were above him, and he was concerned that if he began to speak up, he might freeze and lose his ability to express his ideas, that he wouldn't be able to find the words he needed in that moment. I reminded him that he wouldn't be in the meeting if he hadn't earned the right to be there, and that through his thought awareness training, he would begin to experience and recognize the difference between his mind producing these fearful thoughts and who he actually was. As we were working on him recognizing what it felt like to be the observer, he had a breakthrough. He came to one of our sessions very excited because during the week he had been in a very high-level meeting and actually noticed the thoughts his subconscious mind was executing instead of being in them. He recognized that he was not the thought. He was just having the thought. That gave him the confidence to begin speaking. When he spoke, he said it was like watching somebody else. He was actually impressed with the words that were coming out of his mouth, and he was feeling totally relaxed. To his surprise, when he finished, 
one of the highest level members spoke up and complimented him on his perspective, saying that he had brought up some very valuable points and they needed to be considered. Yes, there is coaching involved in this process, but let me just give you a quick overview of the meditative part of the training so you can work at it on your own. Now, first I want to say that guided meditations are wonderful and they have a lot of very useful applications, but they are not particularly good for this because they require you to process information, which of course requires you to think. We don't want that. What we want is to become aware of the thoughts that our mind is producing on its own and without our permission. So there are two options that work well for this, and the mechanics are quite simple. They are as follows. Sit in a chair that has a supportive back, and what I mean by this is something that you can feel against your back and maybe the tops of your shoulders. The reason for this is that as you become more relaxed, you may have a tendency to kind of roll your shoulders forward. And we don't want this because it can create drowsiness. Next, do a body scan mentally. And what I mean is to just take a few mindful breaths. They don't have to be real deep, but they should be full. As you exhale, feel yourself relax your body if you notice any areas in particular that have tension. Then, if you're doing a breath-based, just begin to become the observer of your body breathing. Now, the temptation, at least at first, will be to control your breathing. Because you usually don't pay attention to that, now that you're watching it, you may start analyzing it and feel like you should breathe deeper or maybe you should breathe slower, etc. But try to ignore that and just watch your body breathe. Believe me, it knows how to do this without your instruction. Now, if you're using a phrase-based meditation, pick a phrase that has meaning to you and is relatively short. I would say four words or less. It should be something simple like, I am still, I am here, all is well, etc. So up until this point, the mechanics are the same, except that in one version you are observing your body breathe, and in a phrase-based, you are hearing your phrase repeated over and over. And that's all there is to it. And you will maintain this process for perhaps 10 minutes. I actually give my clients an MP3 file of the ocean waves to provide them some white noise in the background and to help them block out external stimulus. And also, because the, the file is 10 minutes long, they don't have to be thinking about how long have I been doing this. When the ocean waves fade out, then they're finished with the session. So it sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? And as I said, the mechanics are. But here's what will happen. Very quickly, your mind will say, this is boring. I've already mastered it, and so I'm going to go visit this situation over here. And that could be anything. It could be something you're looking forward to. It could be something you dread doing. It could be something you wish you hadn't said. It could be a task like, don't forget to pick up coffee at the grocery store on the way home. When your mind goes off, you will follow it because you are in the thought. This is a process that you have practiced millions of times in your life. But in this situation, it's different because you have an intention to become aware of what your mind is doing without your permission. And it is doing this without your permission because you have commanded it to do nothing but pay attention to one task. And that one task is either observing your breath or hearing your phrase. Now, I should say that the reason that you give your mind a single task is so that you have a point of relativity, meaning is it doing what your will is commanding it to do? 
So how long is it going to take for this first Fourier into thoughts that you have not asked for to occur? Well, it could take 10 seconds. It could be 30 seconds. It doesn't really matter. Believe me, it will happen. And after you and your mind go on this voyage, there will come a moment when you wake up and you realize that your mind is not doing what you asked it to do and that your attention is not on what you are commanding it to be on. This is when the magic happens because in that moment you have stopped being in your thoughts, an involuntary passenger on the voyages of the mind, and you have now become the observer of what your mind is doing. As you pull your attention back onto your task using your intention, you strengthen your will. It's like exercising. Every repetition of this process makes you stronger and it anchors you more in the observer. The mistake that I see everyone make as they begin this is that they think that because they are chasing their mind all the time, as you most likely will in the beginning, you are very poor at the skill. Actually, what I tell them is that you can't be chasing your mind as it runs off unless you are noticing that it is running off. So don't judge your performance based on how often you catch yourself going off task. I have studied numerous forms of meditation and I have practiced meditation for over 40 years. I still have sessions where my mind is very active and other sessions where it's relatively placid. And that can depend on different factors. What is going on in your life? Is it the end of the day or is it first thing in the morning, etc.? Just ignore it and keep practicing. Again, Meditation is like exercising in the sense that you never reach a point in your life where you can say, I'm totally fit, I can stop exercising for the rest of my life. The benefits of meditation are too far-reaching to discuss in a short podcast, but I can tell you that you will be much more of an observer of what your mind is doing and much less attached to the emotional content of the thoughts that it produces. And you will also have more access to the cognitive abilities of your mind. You know, our culture is so overstimulated. Whereas in my generation, I grew up in a time where there really weren't very many distractions that are so commonplace today. The young people coming up now have little, if any, attention span because their attention is always being occupied from an external source. Our minds are always in motion and they're always agitated. And that's because the media has access to us 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And we hold that access point right in the palm of our hand. And they use that access to make us feel that we can't be happy right now in this moment. And that happiness is attached to something that is just beyond our grasp. And all we have to do is get there and this feeling that we have inside will disappear. We've chased that feeling our whole life and we all know at some level inside that it's just not true. 10 minutes a day, more if possible, of thought awareness training is enough to produce a dramatic change in how you experience your life, and surprisingly, it doesn't take all that long to see the benefits. Ponder this. If you didn't think, could you experience stress? Could you experience anxiety? The answer is no. Thought is the vehicle for the experience of stress anxiety, but also for joy and peace. So knowing what thoughts your mind is creating and learning how to control that process surely is worth the effort. That being said, the challenge is to keep practicing. 
And yes, there are going to be days when you just can't get to it. And when that happens, and it happens to everyone, then just remember, don't judge it, just get back to it. Well, that wraps it up for today. And on the next episode, I'm going to answer a question from a listener uh, who has written to me through the asktom.com email. I love it. And we're going to talk about her question, and I'm just going to let that be a surprise on the next episode. So until then, have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon.